again. The Psalms are the hymn book of the day. And as the case is with our songs today, our hymns today, and worship songs, they're written out of uh, of various uh, encounters in life, in various situations and scenarios. Some of our songs, some of our hymns um, today have been written out of times of great joy and victory and accomplishment, while other psalms and hymns um, of today have been written under the burden of great grief and sorrow as they called out to God. And such is life as we experience both uh, sorrows and joys and, and happiness and, and sadness, which all comes in this package of life. And we find it, this as, just as we find it in our songs today, uh, we also find it in the psalms of the Old Testament, that they were written uh, from the perspective of men who were going through various encounters. Sometimes they were very joyful. They had just come off of the field of battle. Sometimes they were uh, scared and had been and had run in fear of their enemies. Sometimes they were joyful, just recounting God's previous faithfulness and promise. And this morning in Psalm 142, what we find is a man in David who has penned this psalm under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and has made a song out of a very difficult season or moment in his life. And David wrote this psalm according to the title when he was in a cave. And he was in a cave a couple times in the Bible. One is referenced in 1 Samuel chapter 22. And the Bible also records another moment when David was in a cave in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And both of those occasions, though they were different moments where he was in a cave, the thing that they have in common is the reason why he was there. Both in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and 1 Samuel chapter 24, David found himself in a cave because he was running out of fear of his enemies. One of his main enemies was King Saul, who in a jealous rage often sought to kill David um, because he was scared scared of David and understood David's rise and saw that God's hand was on David and that he would indeed be the man to replace King Saul. So in that jealous rage, King Saul would run after and pursue David in an attempt to kill him. Uh, And also in in 1 Samuel chapter 22, David had run into that cave, not just out of fear of the army and the mounting large army of King Saul that was uh, coming to get him, but also uh, because the Philistines, the enemies of God's people, um, also he is running because of that. So he had several various enemies that were pursuing him. And he finds himself in this cave. And I want to take a moment, I want to read verse 7. We're going to look at all the psalm, but I want us to start off by looking at verse 7 in Psalm 142. He says to God, Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, and you shall deal bountifully with me. Verse 7, Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. David, in verse 7 as he's backed up into this cave, and he's there, and, and if we take 1 Samuel chapter 22's account, as he ran and hid in that cave, uh, some others, uh, some other people had come and joined him in that cave, and, and there, were, there were several hundred people that actually formed 
in that cave. And David, in this place, this limestone cutout, if you will, hiding back in this place, there out of fear, does not just see this as a place of refuge, he sees it as a prison. And he's crying out to God in the midst of this place, saying, God, bring my soul out of prison. Get me out of this place. And and why I think that this may be fitting for us and and maybe very fitting for some in your current situation in life. But why I think this has great application today is that this isn't just about those moments where we're in a cave or we feel confined. This, or these, this is about those moments in life that we allow fear um, to dictate us, that we allow fear to guide and direct our life, and we can get ourselves, find ourselves backed into these corners huddled down, afraid to move, and before long we're confined in this spiritual prison and we're crying out to God, or I hope that we get to that place where we recognize that we're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be confined in this prison and we call out to God for that deliverance, whether it is a, an emotional uh, prison that you have blocked yourself in. Maybe it's a spiritual prison wrapped up in sin and, and confined. I hope today that as we celebrate this second Lord's Day of 2012, that this brand new day, this brand new opportunity may truly come into our lives today and that God's Word may speak a very particular truth to those of us right now that may be backed up into that corner of a cave out of fear or, or whatever has confined us and placed us in that spiritual prison. I want us to look first for first this morning about the location i want us now even though we don't uh there were two different locations in which david was hiding out i want us to focus on something about caves and and how there's some some uh some other people who found themselves in a similar situation you see caves were common in that region i Yes, to some extent still are. The mountainous terrain afforded uh, many different cutouts and notches and and caverns uh, for people to be able to hide. Sometimes they were used to live in. If you remember in the book of Genesis in chapter 19, after Lot sees Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed and his wife turned to a pillar of salt, he and his family went and lived in a cave for a short amount of time. So Genesis 19 tells us that some people lived in caves. But what we seem to find also is that caves, according to Isaiah and, and Zechariah's prophecies, that, that, that they were even used sometimes as prisons. That these caverns were used to hold people in that were either prisoners of war or, or what have you because they, were, they could guard the openings and keep those people pinned in there. But one of the ways that we seem to find caves most of the time in Scripture is that they were used as a refuge. Some of you may know the story of Elijah. Elijah had seen great things and had been a, a great prophet of God, and God had used him to perform many miracles. And at one point, Elijah, out of fear of Jezebel, who was threatening his life, he runs to Mount Oreb, and there at Mount Oreb, the mount of God, he hides himself in a cave. That's where we hear about the earthquake and the, 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 the fire and, and the, the great wind and that's where we get the story of the still small voice that came speaking to Elijah while he was hiding out in that cave. And David also here in 
in Psalm 142 is described as being in a cave. And we understand he's using this cave as a place of refuge. He's hiding out from somebody. He's hiding out from his enemies. He's backed into this corner. And there, in that corner, he recognizes that this is not just a place of refuge. But it has become a prison to his soul. So that's why he says, verse 7, bring me out of prison. Bring my soul out of prison. I want you to look with me for a moment in the rest of this psalm. I want to read the entire psalm now, verse 1 through 7. And I want us to get an idea of the environment of David's experience. It says in verse 1, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare before Him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk, that they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Verse 1, David is clearly letting his audience know, I'm in trouble. Now, whether he penned this while in the cave or later after he came out is really irrelevant because it was the cave, it was that experience that ultimately ushered out this song. It was that experience of being backed into this cave and knowing that his enemies had secretly laid all of these snares and that that army that was against him was mounting and getting larger and he himself was feeling weak. Whether he wrote it in there or not is irrelevant. All that matters is what he was experiencing. And he was in trouble. He believes that the army against him is by far greater than him, larger than him, more powerful than him. And here he is looking around, whether there are 400 people in there, four, or just himself. He's looking around saying, there's no one here who is able to help me. And you know, if you think about it, maybe you have been in a place like that in your life. Maybe you've never been in a cave running from a jealous king, but maybe at some point in your life, you felt as though you were backed into this corner that there was really nowhere you could go, you couldn't turn to the left, you couldn't turn to the right, and that that army out there, whatever that army is, that opposition in your life, whether it was fear, whether it was a legitimate force that was coming against you, maybe it was real persecution. Whatever it was, that army or that thing that was set out there against you and it pushed you back into that cave and you're looking around saying, hey, there's nobody, there is nobody who can or will help me out. Maybe you've been at a place like that in your life. Looking around, scared, concerned, feeling outnumbered and overpowered and feeling like everybody else around you, if they were even there, could not do anything or would not do anything. For those of you that have been there, that's not a fun place. That's not a fun experience. 
to experience such trouble and to feel as though you're going through it alone. To live your life in fear, looking out that hole in the cave and knowing in your mind that there's an army out there who wants your harm. Knowing that there's an enemy out there who is cunning and that they are secretly laying these traps to try to catch you. Knowing that every step you could take could be one of the snares in which was laid. This scripture this morning, this lesson, I, I believe is very, very open, uh, very vague. There are a lot of things that we can fill in the blank with. And I hope that the openness of this message allows uh, for God to apply it in a very perfect sense to each one of our conditions and situations. First, he was in trouble. Verses 1 through 2, he cried out to the Lord with his voice. He makes his supplication. He pours out his complaint before God. He declares before God his trouble. He is in a bad situation. You see, David found himself in a place that a lot of other good people found themselves in. Prison. If you remember Joseph, one of the great patriarchs of the Old Testament, found himself in prison not because of some bad he had done, but because of the good that he had done. Because he was a man of integrity, he found himself in prison. You may recall not just David finding himself in this prison of a, of a cave, but also in the Bible it tells us that even Paul in the New Testament, the great apostle, found himself in prison not because he had done something wrong, but because of the good in which he had done. Sometimes the good that we have done is not always seen as good by an unbelieving world. Sometimes good actions can have bad consequences and bad reactions. But David was there not because of a wrong that he had done, but because of a good. I want to show you one other little thing. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Not only have you probably been to that place where you were in trouble. Your enemy was just outside the cave door. But David says, God, I'm not just in trouble. I'm weak. God, my soul, my spirit, everything inside of me, I don't have the ability to flex. God, I am weak. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of being afraid. I don't know what causes you to be weak when you're backed up into that cave of fear. What David is saying is probably something that many of us have experienced knowing that our enemies are vast and growing and strong and strengthening and cunning and sly, and they want our harm, David says, God, I just feel like I, I can't go on any longer. God, I feel like my strength from the very inside core of my being, God is unable to continue carrying on. Notice what he says in verse 6, Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. I get this impression almost of David just sitting or kneeling on the floor of the cave. Saying, God, if I had to fight hand to hand, I don't know that I could. You see, David was not just in trouble, but he had grown weak. He had grown tired. I want to show you the third thing that we find. It's in verse 4. He says to God, look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. 
no one cares for my soul. No one cares for my soul. He wasn't just in trouble. And he wasn't just tired. But he felt absolutely alone. If there were people there, they were unable to. And the ones that were there, that were able, did not want to help him. We we have a tendency, I think, to... And I don't know that it's a bad thing, but I think that we have a tendency sometimes to to read this, to hear scriptures about um, people who are in need or people who feel alone, uh, isolated. Um, and I think that sometimes we may hear those sermons or read those scriptures or come across those devotionals about people being lonely, and we may think, well, I'm, I'm not lonely. I've got people around me who, who care about me, who genuinely care about me, who are concerned about me. It may be my, my spouse, or it may be uh, my best friend. I've got those people that care. But sometimes we leave it at that, and we say, well, that's not me, so we check it off and we go down to the next verse. Or maybe we continue moving on without really processing that information a little further and consider that even if we may feel as though we are not alone and we may be able to evaluate ourselves and say, you know what, I have a very good support structure. I've got people that can and are able to help me and support me and love me and show a genuine concern for me. Let me tell you something. There are people who either do not or feel as though they do not have somebody that is walking with them. They, they, they're everywhere. They, they may be sitting by you. They may be sitting on your same row. They may be in your section. They may be in your home. They may be at your job. But I promise you, I promise you, there are people that are going through this world, going through this life, experiencing things, and feeling as though they are all alone. Just because they have someone to go to lunch with does not mean they have someone that they can confide in. Just because they have a spouse does not mean that is someone who genuinely, truly cares for that person. I think beyond how we process this, is that if that's us and we can say, God, I know that I've got people who love me and are concerned about me and care about me. I've got a good support structure. I pray that we might ask ourselves this question, God, am I being that for someone else? God, am I genuinely concerned and caring about the needs that I know of in other people's life? Am I one to walk with someone else? Oh, let it never be said of us. Let it never be said of us that no one cares for my soul. Let no one in our company, let no one in our circle of friends, let no one near us come to the place where they say those words that no one cares for my soul. Let us be people who care and are concerned about the needs and the situations of others. David was in trouble. David was in a place of weakness. His strength was gone. And David was in a place of loneliness, feeling as though there was no one there that could or would be able to help him. Now, let me just interject something before we move on. Even though 
I'm telling you that this is not a good place, that we don't like these places where we're troubled and where we're tired and where we feel alone that nobody can help us. Let me interject this. Even though we don't like to be in trouble, tired, and alone, those three things can be some of the most fertile soil for our relationship with God. Being in trouble, tired, and alone. Sometimes that can be the most fertile soil for our spiritual development ever. I'll tell you that oftentimes in my life when I've been the most troubled has been when I have drawn the closest to the Lord. It's been those moments where I've been afraid and I have run to Him as a strong tower. The mo- some of the most intimate moments of my walk with God have come when I was the most troubled. And I believe that oftentimes we live lives of such self-sufficiency that we never have to rely on a divine dependence from His strength. We often go through life with everything that we feel that we need, never experiencing some of His divine resources because, hey God, I've got it all together. And sometimes we never call out on God. Because we have all of this support staff around us and beside us. We have all of these people giving us all of the answers and giving us all the strength. And I'm telling you that even though a support staff is good, being in that place where you're backed into that cave, you're troubled, you're tired, and you feel like you're all alone is a perfect environment for us to be to the place where we're humbled and broke down and recognize our need of God to say, God, nobody else. There is nobody else that is able to help me right now. God, I am not able to help myself. God, there's more of them out there than there are in here. God, I'm tired. I need strength. It is this environment that I believe helps produce within us. This helps us to get to the place where we turn and lean and trust in God. And that's exactly what happened to David. God, I'm in trouble. God, I'm tired. God, there's nobody else here that can or will help me, but God, you can. It's those moments where those things are removed. The things that we think we have to have comfort in life and and strength and friends. We find ourselves in that cave or a prison, if you will, and we say, God, there's no one here to be able to help me except you. Oh, please notice with me what not just the environment of weak and outnumbered and alone and tired, but I want you to notice the foundation that David stood on. Aren't you glad that we always as children of God, have a foundation that we can stand on? Aren't you glad that every one of those caves has a foundation? It's not a cave with a quicksand. It's a cave with a foundation. Verse 1, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before Him. 
I declare before him my trouble. Notice verse 5. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David comes to God with this idea that God was not just aware of where he was. But David came to God with this idea that the Creator of heavens and the earth was not just aware of His situation, aware of His location, aware of His condition, but He knew that God cared about it. Do you remember me telling you that oftentimes, you know, when we're talking with someone who's going through a difficult time and we we pat them on the back and we say, hey, God knows what you're going through. Do you remember me talking with you about that? Just, Just a few weeks ago, actually, I think. And I was talking to you that if you think about it, the fact that God knows what we're going through really in itself doesn't bring us that much comfort. If I'm going through a difficult time and you come up and pat me on the shoulder and say, you know what, God knows what you're going through. Really, how is that How is that bit of knowledge really supposed to give me great comfort that I would expect God to know? I would be surprised if God did not know what I was going through. But when we say, when you pat me on the shoulder, when I'm going through this difficult time, and you pat me on the shoulder and you say, you know what, God knows what you're going through. I understand that to mean that it's more than the simple fact of He is aware, but I couple with that, not just His divine knowledge, but His divine ability to do something about it. The fact that God knows about my plight or what I'm going through brings me very little comfort, but the fact that He is omnipotent And he can take that compassion and that concern and that knowledge that he has of my condition and he can mix that with his power and he can work all things together for the good? Then I get comforted. Just the fact that he knows, that doesn't bring much comfort, but when he knows for the purpose of being able to do something about it, that's comforting. David says, I cried out, God, I know that you're going to listen to me. I know that you're going to hear my cry. I know, God, you are aware that you are caring. And even more than that, God, I know that you are capable of doing what nobody else in the world can do for me right now. When David said, Attend to my cry, for I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they're stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. It may sound like David is giving God orders. It may come across to us that David is barking commands at God and expecting God to respond. And I don't get that impression. Several reasons. One is this. David knew he was in that cave not because of something that he had done wrong, but because of this rage of a jealous king. 
he knew, David knew and had that confidence to come before God to say, God, I know that You know my condition and You know my heart, God. And You are just. And God, this is an unjust situation that I'm in. I'm being persecuted by this man because of the good that I have done, because of my close walk with You. And God, I know that just as You are just, You will bring this about. You will exercise Your perfect will in my situation. You know something else I have to believe? I have to believe this. At that time that David was in that cave, he had been anointed king. He knew he was going to be the king. And the man who was the king still was trying to kill him. Guys, here's something I think about this story. Kings don't rule from caves. Kings don't set up their thrones backed in caves afraid. If David knew that God had chosen him to be the king, then he knew that this cave was not to be his coffin. He knew that this cave was not to be the place that he was going to sit on a throne. He knew that he would not wear that crown in that cave. He knew he would not sit on a throne in that limestone cut out part of a mountain. He knew that if I'm going to be the king, God is going to get me out of here because kings do not rule from caves. And oftentimes in our lives, We allow ourselves to be dictated by fear and to back into these places and live this life of of a sheltered, faithless life, sometimes in our life, and we sit in these places unafraid to move, unafraid to make any progress. And in a sense, as a believer, we may find ourselves kind of like David, a child of the king living in a cave. God does not want or desire our lives to be dictated by fear. God does not delight us to be backed up into the corner, afraid to come out. God desires our lives to be lived in victory and to come out trusting and living our lives in the light of His presence and in the promise of His Word. That's what God desires. And David, in all of his situation, having Saul and his army barreling down on him, backed into this corner, nobody else around him, he's tired, he's troubled, he's weak, he's humbled, he looks around and says, God, nobody's here to help me, but you will. And he says, God, get me out of here. Notice this final thing. Look at the outcome that David had hoped for in verse 7. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. That I may praise your name. Doesn't it almost sound like David's saying, God, if you get me out of here, I'll go to church. Doesn't it almost sound like that? God, if you do this one thing, I will never miss in 2012. Let me tell you, David, we have no indication that David is bartering with God. But I will tell you something. It sounds as though David recognized that God, when I get out of here, When I get out of here, God, 
I'm going to praise your name with a fresh song. I'm going to praise your name from an experience in life, Lord, that I have never gone through before. And you know, sometimes those deliverance out of our soul prisons, those times that we have been set free, delivered, redeemed, those moments that God has come through in just the right time when there was absolutely nobody else who would or could, those moments that He brings us through the storm and sets down the anchor on the other side, our mouths are filled with a praise that has a depth to it that it never had before. That has a freshness. Our praise has a chord that we never struck before because of the situation. And David is saying, God, when you get me out of here, when you bring me out of here, I'm going to throw this faucet open wide and it is going to pour forth some of the most fresh praise that you have ever heard. Bad circumstances, great deliverance, often equal fresh praise. He says, the righteous will surround me. He's not just saying, God, you're going to give me new inspiration to praise. But do you remember he said, God, look around. Look to my right hand. There's nobody here who can or will. He's saying, God, when I get out of here, I'm going to be surrounded by people who are faithful. God, I don't know why he was going to be surrounded either for strength. I don't know. Maybe they were going to surround him to hear the stories and the song of his deliverance. Maybe he was going to encourage and impact the lives of others by sharing with them the story of God's great deliverance out of that soul prison, that cave where he was outnumbered and weak and humbled. And then he says, for you shall deal bountifully with me. His understanding of the goodness of God that even though his circumstances were not good, God still was. His faith, his reliance in the nature and the character of God never wavered. He always knew God's heart towards him. Even though things looked like God had abandoned him, he knew in his heart that God was going to do good. Didn't know how it was going to happen. He asked in a very specific way, but he knew that God was still good to him. I don't know. I have no idea where you're at on a spiritual map right now. I have no idea. I have no idea what type of a prison you might be in I don't know what may be binding you. But today, this morning, does that description of David ring true in your life right now where you are? Right now where you are, would you say that you are troubled? You're unsettled. You're concerned. You're fearful. You feel like you're backed into this cave and you're looking out through that little hole and out on the other side of that little hole is a little bit of light. And you know outside of that little bitty hole it seems like there are enemies all around you and fill in the blank on what the enemies are. Is that you feeling as though you're backed up, troubled? 
you feel as though you're weak, you've been fighting it for a long time, you may put on a face as though you're strong, and you may act as though everything is just fine, but really deep down, uh, as, as some have said, you're like a duck on the top of the water, everything's just calm and still, but underneath the water, your legs are just paddling like all get out. And maybe that's you, maybe on the surface you seem to be very strong, but on the inside, those words resonated with you that your spirit is overwhelmed within you. And maybe you feel this morning like there's nobody can or will help you out. Maybe you won't let anybody know. Maybe you won't open up to share your concern with anybody. As I said, even though the cave is not a fun place to be, it can be a place of great spiritual awakening, and great spiritual growth and relief. And let me tell you this morning, that if you are backed into your cave, hiding out in the darkness of the cave, that's not where you're called to stay. Christ does not want you to live in the dark corners of a cave. He wants you to live life in the light. The worst cave of all the worst prison of all is the one that the person is in who does not know Christ as their Savior. The Bible says that our sins bind us. That sin has separated us from God. And the Bible tells us that if we die in our sins, without having our sins forgiven, without being born again, then we go to an eternal prison. And that's not God's desire. You today can come out of that prison of sin. You can come out of that prison of fear. You can step out of that darkness and into the light. You're not coming out of fear. You come to Jesus. And I believe just like David knew he was a king, and kings don't reign from caves. I believe each one of us can go to the promises of God's Word and grab a hold of what the Bible tells us and live our life according to the teachings of God's Word. And I want to take a moment like we did last week. I want to take a moment and ask you, would you just close your eyes for one second or a moment? We're going to have a time of response in just a second. And when we do, I'm going to let you know that if you have a decision to make, maybe you know you've never been saved. And that's your cave. You know you've never been saved, and this morning you want to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to invite you to come at the invitation. This response time. Say, God, I'm coming out of this cave of darkness, and I'm stepping out into the light of salvation. I will no longer be bound by sin. I'll have the victory of Christ in my life. Maybe you're struggling with fear or some other issue, some other enemy that has you backed into this corner and you feel as though you're in a spiritual prison and you want free, you want to talk to somebody about it. I want to invite you to come. You need help? We want, I want to help you. 
Maybe your, maybe your decision this morning is rededication. You're saying, God, I've been backed up here in this cave, in this darkness. I've been confined. God, I want to be free from this. And this morning, I'm rededicating my life. I'm confessing, repenting of the sins that I've committed. And God, I'm recommitting myself to you today. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe you are saved, but you've never walked in that first step of obedience. Maybe you say today, God, I'm, I'm getting right. I'm getting serious. I'm making this a major commitment in my life. Maybe it's church membership. You know, this is the place that God wants you to be a part of and to serve for His glory. Maybe that's you today. Whatever that decision is, I pray at this time of response, you'll come. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the promise, Lord, that You are the one who breaks chains. You came to set the captives free, Isaiah said. And I thank You for that this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to live in the light of the freedom that you offer us through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.